This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Listeners, welcome back to Becoming Sproutable, a limited podcast series that takes you through the biggest tools and concepts of parenting with positive discipline. I'm your host, Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline lead trainer, parent coach, adolescent lead at besproutable.com, host of the Joyful Courage podcast, and mom of two teenagers. I'm joined by my co-host, Julieta Skoog, also a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, early years lead at besproutable.com. My really good friend and mom to three, a little, a middle, and a tween. Hey, Julieta, how's it going? So good, Casey. I'm so happy to be back. I love being in these conversations with you. It feels like all of the conversations that we have over the phone or when we get together at these conferences, it just, I love hearing about the way that positive discipline shows up for you with the tweens and teens. So fun. Yeah, it's really fun to find the parallels and find where things differentiate. And, you know, I think that anyone who's listening who's a parent coach, you can start to feel a little bit isolated. And so it's just so empowering and inspiring to talk parenting with another person who's steeped in the work like you and I both are. So we're coming in, coming in hot. So let's start with any good stories to share today, Jules? I do. Well, I have my story. Do you have a story that is like your classic story that you share when you teach parent classes? Well, I do have a pretty good story about teaching Ian the brain in the palm of the hand. Yeah. Okay. So my story is the coat story. It's a classic one that I share every time I teach about connection and firmness, which is really what we're talking about today on the podcast, teaching neither with permission or punitively. Mm -hmm. So when my oldest, she's now 12, but when she was three and a half, she was actually three and a half. I went to go pick her up from school. And the rule in our family still is, has been since day one. Well, since they could walk is that you either wear your coat or you carry it. Because as you know, we live in permanently 40 degree weather here in Seattle. (laughs) We can't leave the house without a coat, but I also, I'm not going to be the person that's carrying all this stuff all the time. So the rule is that you carry it or you wear it. And we practice it. We take time for training, all of this. So I go to pick her up from preschool. I have my baby also in the carrier. And 
it's just been a day for her. So I go to pick her up and I say, okay, you know, positive discipline. Like, are you going to carry it or wear it? And she just looks at me and she just screams in my face, holds it out. And she was like, you carry it and drops it right in front of me. And meanwhile, I'm looking at all these other parents who have taken my parenting class. (laughs) (laughs) That's always bonus. (laughs) Always bonus. The teachers that I train also are like, oh, what's she going to do now? Right. Everybody gets real quiet, you know? So I just said, all right, here we go. And I remove why we say remove the audience or remove yourselves. So Mm -hmm. first I just said, well, it looks like you've had a tough day. Let's go have this conversation in the hallway. So I just scooped everybody out to the hallway, got down to her level and said, Hey, I know you've had a hard day. We're going to walk home and I need you to be a helper. You know, the rule is that you carry it or you wear it. And she just got into her state of, I'm not going to give this up. Just kept screaming like, no, I'm not going to carry it. You carry it. So I just started walking. I said, you know, I can help you put it on. I can help you tuck it under your elbow, but it's time to start walking home. And she walked all five blocks home screaming at me to carry this coat. Every half block or so, I would say, get down to her level again. Do you want me to help you put it on or put it under your armpit, you know, with your little elbow and the whole way home just would not, but I was not going to carry that coat and I was not going to take it from her, you know, and I would get to the crosswalk and say, okay, it's time we got to hold hands and eventually have to drag her across because she would not hold my hand, but we had to be safe. I mean, I was in control of my body, but you know, you have to hold her hand and had this baby and we made it all the way home. And then I finally, as she's just stalled crying and saying, you, you carry it. And I let the baby out of the carrier. I think I put her in a safe place. I think I got water boiling for dinner and then just pulled her into the couch and said, Hey, you know, are you, she'd finally calmed down. I said, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Mm. She said, you go first. And I just said, I know it was such a hard day. And this is why we have this rule, you know, because I can't carry everything and you are so capable. And we talked through what the rule is. I said, when Papa comes home, we can talk to him about that too. Let's keep practicing it. But this is not my story. My story is what happened the next day as we were coming out of the library after having this whole big, you know, show. And the next day at the library, we come out and she says, you know, oh, I'm kind of hot. She goes to take off her coat and goes to hand it to me. And it was this moment that I could have said, I don't want to have another, you know, attitude like you did yesterday, or like, you better remember the rule or what did I say last night? You know, I averted my gaze. I was like looking down at the stroller underneath it. I'm looking away, just preserved that moment of dignity for her, letting her save face. And she just says in her little three and a half year old way, I mean, truly three and a half, she said, oh, I think I'll carry it. And I just said, oh, thanks, babe. Really appreciate that. And move on. You know, I love that. I love that. I think I've heard that story and I can't get enough of it. Well, I've had parents tell me, you know, because it's a metaphor, right? Where they say, I carry the coat, you know, Mm -hmm. or like other things. And they're like, they just, it's that kind of permissive, like, well, okay. Or the enabling part, you know, or parents will say to me, what if they just left the coat? Like, that's an expensive coat. I'm not going to just let it, you know. They say, that's not my story. That's not what happened. Mm -hmm. It would have been a different technique at that point, you know, Mm -hmm. but in this way where she was just like, you better take it no matter what. And that power struggle that we have. And also I love this positive discipline tool that's easier said than done, but it's don't give in and don't give up. Mm -hmm. Also that idea as well, where, yeah, yeah. 
Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. That's a super relatable story. And I think it's always so useful for people to listen to parent educators talk about their kids being normal kids, right? And having those tough moments and putting us in that position because it's, you know, even for those of us that practice and teach this, it doesn't mean that there's now we do it so well, which I would say you do it really well, Jules, and I do it like 65% well. I just I think I have more baggage than you have coming in. <laughs> we did that whole test at Think Tank where it showed like <laughs> how many issues did you be were you raised with? <laughs> You're so funny. Well, no, they're human beings. Though. I mean, just yeah, because totally. we have a lot of these skills and a lot of these tools, it just means that we get to practice a lot. And I will say it doesn't mean that the behaviors or the challenges are any less. However, I will say the time that it takes for my kids and my recovery, students, yeah, the recovery for the repair, the skill set around that is different. 
perhaps. Yeah. And I think that comes from the relationship that you've built with them, right? Inside of the skills and everything. Yeah. What about you? Do you have a good parenting story this week? Well, yeah. Well, it's not really a parenting story, but I just thought it was a useful short little share because of what we're going to talk about today. So we teach positive discipline, parenting with positive discipline. Juliet has got a seven week class that she offers, which by the way, I don't know where we are timing when this podcast comes out, but when does it start in the winter? January 12th. So we're- Oh, well, get on the email list. So, you know, the next time Jules does a positive discipline parenting class that is so crazy useful. I do one for parents of teens. And years ago, I remember doing a seven week class and we were able to make it crazy affordable for people out in Sultan, Washington. I had 40 parents in this class. We offered childcare. It was awesome. And we'd show up in the Sultan Elementary Library and make a circle, a gigantic circle. And it was just really fun and playful. There were a lot of dads in the crowd, which always changes the dynamic. And I love it. But I do remember one week, I think we were talking about the topic that we have today, looking at discipline as an opportunity to teach and not moving in the punitive direction and problem solving. And this guy raised his hand. He was like, you know, like, I get it. This is all really well and good. But when my kid's in front of a judge, the judge is not going to be like, how can we solve this problem? And I said, oh, yeah, you know, you're right. That's not the system that we live in. We live in a pretty punitive justice system. I said, and all of these things that we're practicing that you get to practice with your kids is going to decrease the likelihood that they're going to be in front of a judge. Right. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, total mic drop. Now notice the language that I use, decrease the likelihood. I'm not here to guarantee anything because like you already have mentioned, we're all human beings. And at the end of the day, our kids make their choice in the moment based on the tools they have and their level of regulation and, and foresight and thoughtfulness, which gets a little tricky in the teen years. But, you know, remembering that that's what this is about. Our, and there's a great meme out there somewhere, but the space and the environment that we create in our homes does not and should not reflect the systems that we live inside of, especially considering the systems are flawed in so many ways. And ultimately, we know that we show up as our best selves when we feel encouraged, when we feel connected, when we've had healthy modeling of skills. So anyway, that's my story. I love that, Dad. You'll always remember, and I love that you really highlight the fact that this is a system that's flawed. We do not want to conform our kids. We don't want to create these kids that are so obedient and conforming. We want the kids that are going to say, no, actually, that's the wrong system. Then we're going to change that system. And I get Mm -hmm. this question a lot from parents, like, what if they're in a school or with a teacher or with a caregiver, you know, grandparents or a daycare or preschool that is not positive discipline? you know, that is very rewards-based or punitive, what then? What do we do? And I say, well, you can't control or pad or, you know, be this lawnmower parent to make sure everything's going to, they're going to always be heard and they're going to be able to Mm -hmm. have a voice and, you know, have choices and have solutions. But the skills that we teach in our homes allows them to go into all these different kinds of environments and still hold their own and be confident and think for themselves and stand up for themselves or be assertive or be empathetic or be compassionate or not have it Mm -hmm. be about them. You know, I had one of my kids, I can't remember if it was which one it was, but I came home and said they had had a guest teacher that day that was giving out these prizes. They had a whole system and you got these points by the end of the day and then you got these prizes and all of these things, which of course ends up just making 
the other kids that never get those feel crappier by the end of the day anyways. And my daughter said when the teacher was like, oh, and here's your prize. She was like, I don't need a prize. I actually like school and I love learning. So I'm good. Thanks. You can keep your stickers, you know. That had to have been Josephine. I think it was. As I'm telling the story, I'm like, obviously that was Josephine. So and I, I did get a note from the other teacher the other day that was like, sometimes I think she should actually be teaching seventh grade history. I'm like, it does not surprise me. But in that way, right, that you can, you know, give these kinds of skills for kids so that they can go out into any environment and be able to hold their own. I remember actually when Vi was three and she had a severe gluten like stomach not allergy. We just were like figuring it out. And for her to have the skills to go to a birthday party and say, actually, I'm not able to have cake right now. No, thank you. Mm -hmm. is really powerful. We need to trust our kids too, that we're not going to be around, you know, that they can go out into the world and navigate those kinds of things. Well, and I think there's something to be said too, for the contrast, right? Like if our kids are being raised in a home that values relationship and dignity and respect and equality and equity and all the things, and then they're out in a space, in an environment where those aren't the values, they can really feel that contrast. And it makes for really powerful conversations around, yeah, so what can we do about that? Like, what is there to do about that? And I think it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing for sure. That's so cool the way that you described it. And I think it's because, well, that's not right. Not that it's because, but it reminds me how often the misnomer of positive discipline is described as permissive or that Mm -hmm. as parents were just nice and that kids just get away with it with things like that there are no quote unquote consequences for their behavior. So untangling that to remind ourselves that actually discipline means to teach. It is very much about this was a big mistake. This was a big mess up. And the shift in language from consequences to solutions means we care so much about this that we are going to practice. We are going to use it as an opportunity to teach a new skill. And in fact, that all consequences are not solutions, but all solutions are consequences. And so that shift to being solution focused versus permissive or punitive actually in the long run teaches skills that are going to ensure, not ensure, but increase the likelihood, as you say, of having a different behavior the next time. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's a huge mindset shift because even for those of us that are like, oh yeah, I get it. Like I remember being at a think tank, which listeners, that is an annual conference where trainers from all over the world come together and geek out on positive discipline. I remember being in a think tank, I don't know if you were there or not, probably six or seven years ago. And we did this activity where numbers one through 10 were on the wall and one being the lowest, 10 being the highest. The facilitator said, put yourself where you land on mistakes being opportunities to learn. And that's like a pillar of positive discipline, right? So you would think that everybody would be on number 10, like fully bought in. And that was not the case. And that was not the case. And it just highlights that inner tension, right? Like that cognitive, like, yeah, mistakes are opportunities to learn. Yes, discipline means to teach. Let's look for solutions. And then the real in the moment tension of, oh my God, I'm so scared that you're not going to get this. And I'm uncomfortable with not making sure that I quote, 
teach you a lesson, which, you know, for those of us, you know, in the parenting generation, we know what that means, teaching a lesson. And it's just fascinating. Like the whole psychology of all of it is just really interesting to me. It is. And because, right, of course, I mean, and with the youngers, it's, I remember this dad, same thing. He would take my class every year because they would come with their new au pair, which was so cool. I love that. A lot of families that do that. And he said it took him that third time third class, you know, taking the full seven weeks each time where it finally landed for him. We did an activity around punishment and the results of punishment. Mm. And as you know, you've done this activity so many times. And that really is an experiential learning to show that when punishment is used, there is always a result, either rebellion, revenge, retreat, or resentment in some way with the quote unquote lesson being learned, that that always comes with it. And Mm -hmm. he said, I finally get it, that I I used to try all these other things and be like, well, last stop is punishment. Now we've got to go to punishment, you know? And he said, I realized it's actually never an option anymore. We just Mm -hmm. keep going around and we just try again, try again. And when I think about this in the context of littles, the hot spots of the morning getting out of the house or dinner, bed or bath time, jammies on, you know, and the defiance and no, I don't want to, I don't want to brush my teeth or I want to, or just like ignoring you completely, not listening, triggers parents to say, what's the solution in this case, you know, Mm -hmm. but really they're saying, what's the consequence or this isn't working. Right. And so that's where we talk about that art of follow through and what does connection and firmness mean? And that's when I say, you got to do an audit. What are the routines? Are you letting routines be the boss? Where's the connection? Are you finding the fun? Are you engaging with them and talking about, you know, the things that they're into? Just this Mm -hmm. morning, actually trying to get Leona to brush her teeth before going to school. I said, Leona, you're not going to believe this toothbrush. Cause she was just looking at me like, I'm not going to brush my teeth. I mean, I could just see it in her eyes. Like I'm not brushing my teeth. Like she was ready to go to school. She was like, I'm not going backwards to that spot. (laughs) I said, this is a magic toothbrush. Do you know what happens when this toothbrush brushes your teeth? It sings a million to one. Do you know this song, Casey? I do not. There's a new Cinderella on Amazon. Live action. Live action. Yeah. You really just want to poke your eyeballs out while you're watching. (laughs) The soundtrack, she's obsessed with the soundtrack. And so, you know, finding those connections with your kids of what they're into. So did you have to sing it while she's brushed your teeth? She looked at me like, is it magical? You know? And I just kind of said, try me. And so she did. She climbed up on her stool and she hit start on her toothbrush and I started singing if it's a million to one I'm gonna be that one and she just got the biggest smile on her face like we just had this moment you know where yeah I could have been like if you don't get on into this you know by the time I count to three then you're gonna lose your iPad time I mean you know the clock like yeah 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 which never works and we have that urge of just being like hurry up or because I said so or why do I have to work so hard right why do I have to work so hard as the parent yeah 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 right and so remembering there's those big moments like mistakes or opportunities to learn this was a big thing you messed up what's the consequence and then there's also the just day-to-day you know Mm -hmm. not listening routine kind of stuff the nagging all those things coming back to again connection and firmness connection and firmness and just that audit for yourself at the same time our routines and place. Am I asking, I'd say the three C's, curiosity, connection, and choice, which to me, I'd say is control. You know, do they have Mm -hmm. autonomy around this? Yeah. Well, and I love in that example, specifically lightness and playfulness. 
Like lighten up everyone. And I'm talking to myself as I'm talking to everyone else. Yeah. Well, and you, and yeah. And the control. So fast forward to my clients and my parenting experience, you know, our kids, we are very aware of time, right? Like I am really aware of how much time I've got. Well, Rowan seems pretty damn comfortable at home, but Ian for sure is on his way out. So there's this concept of time and then there's the scariness of some of the choices that our teens can make around, you know, experimenting, driving fast, the risky behavior, the novelty seeking. So we're a little scared and we're a little worried about time. And there's this feeling like I have to feel like I'm doing something and control as a parent of a teenager and not every parent of teenagers. I know some of you out there are like, no, I got it. I figured it out. Great. I definitely would say I'm good at it sometimes and sometimes I'm not. But that feeling of control, you start to realize I remember realizing like, oh shit, I cannot make my kids do anything. Like not that I want to strong arm them, but even that as an option no longer exists. Both my kids could kick my ass basically. And so then it becomes like, okay, so where is influence in this new evolved dynamic of this person who's not a kid, not a little kid, not an adult. And they themselves are having this experience of recognizing they're both and neither of these things. And it's so like discombobulating. And so when I think about like trusting the process, we talk a lot about school and grades because everybody's like, oh my God, what's going to happen to my child? How will they take care of themselves? I love Ned Johnson and, uh, the other author whose name I can't think of right now, they wrote The Self-Driven Child. Have you read that book? Not yet. It's really good. It's really good. And they're all about like, get out of the way, you know? And so when I think about allowing discipline to teach, I think about trust and trusting the process and trusting the tension, right? We feel the tension, but when we're holding all the tension, we hold it as our job to get our teens to help out, to do their homework, to do all the things. They're not feeling any tension other than, oh my God, my mom is so annoying. And so really working towards stepping out and being curious around what is it that you want? Like, what's the life that you want? And being able, you know, having a 14, 15, 16, an older kid, it's, you get to have these conversations, which I love, which I also want to side note that when my daughter was really in the grips of, you know, anxiety and depression, asking her what she wanted and what, like how she imagined her future was a landmine. Like she couldn't go there. So I just want to honor that some of our kids that might be too big of a step, but for the rest of them, like, is it important to you to walk through graduation with your class? Do you want to go to college or do you want to do something different? Like being really in the curiosity of that and then back stepping back into like, what do you need to get there? What do you need to do to get there? And like, again, that co-pilot curiosity, this is yours, which I think for some parents that feels like, like they can't trust their kids. But at the same time, it's like, okay, great. So they don't perform. They don't get into the college of their choice. They have to scramble. All of that is beautiful. Like all of that is so powerful and so much teaching about themselves and building their skills. And so I know like on one hand, it's like, trust the process, 
it's not easy, but do it anyway, you know? Well, and one tool that I hear you saying, this is when I start with this always in my very first class, I give this to parents right away, which is this asking versus telling. Mm-hmm. And at Sproutable, we have a whole spotlight course that's called Change Your Language to Change Their Behavior. Because I love this idea, especially for younger kids, of how we change our language invites a certain response, invites either cooperation or invites them to think for themselves. And yeah. so all of those curiosity questions that you use with your teens, like, you know, what's your plan for? Or what do you think is going to happen? Or what does your future look like in this way? Or how would it look if this, I mean, those processes of the what would happen if you want them to be thinking that for themselves in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, as well, like what would happen? And so, and they're not going to be able to do that unless we offer that as a model, you know, yeah. the way that we speak to them becomes their inner voice. So Peggy O'Mara, thank you for that quote. So thank you, Peggy. in this way, even with littles, you know, using those what and how questions lessens the power struggle, but also has that firmness. You know, for me, mm-hmm. when I say what's next in your bedtime routine chart, let's go look, you know, or what's your plan for getting out of the house on time or What's your plan for getting out of the bathtub? Or how can we solve this problem? Or how can you help? Because there's this is a huge mess. I can't do this by myself. What's your plan for? Or when things have gone sideways, you know, and the screen time limits have somehow, you know, been snuck onto or these, you know, extra. Oh my God, that is so my real life story right now. Go on. Right, right. <laughs> Is saying how, what's the solution for this? Because this isn't working for me. This isn't what we agreed to. What ideas do you have? Mm -hmm. And often they'll come up with ideas on their own too. You know, they'll say, how about a couple of days of no show? And just, and I'll say, well, that would really reset your brain. I think that's a great idea. Do you think two days is enough? Well, and I really appreciate like what that and that everybody who's listening, that is not just a conversation with little kids. Like I'm not going to dive into the whole screen time situation. But when you said consequences aren't always solutions, but solutions are always consequences. So right there, you are creating, you're working together to collaborate on a solution that is useful, that teaches skills, right? When you told the story about the coat, And you sat down on the couch and you had that conversation with her. Like the consequence is we're going to talk about all this stuff. I'm going to be curious with you. We're going to fix mistakes. Like if something's been broken, whether it's, you know, somebody's feelings or a broken trust or a broken toy or whatever, like making amends, having conversations around the mistake, how to make it right. What can you do differently next time? Let's practice. I think all of that, that's all consequence, right? That's all a result of the mistake, the result of the mistaken behavior. Also thinking about the iceberg, right? Thinking about the iceberg that we talked about a few episodes ago, when we just look at behavior and think, how do I, I need to shut this behavior down. What can I do to them? What can I threaten? What can I bribe to make this go away? And then we're frustrated that nothing works. You know, we've missed whatever it is that's going on under the surface. And we talked about belief behind behavior a few weeks ago too. That's where real solutions can be harvested. And and last week we talked about communication and you mentioned bugs and wishes and how we can get what's the actual problem, right? Like that's what I'm thinking too, even in these, you know, when we think about discipline to teach and trusting the process and getting really clear 
And I love Ross Green's work. He talks about lagging skills, right? He uses the word lagging, right? I love Ross Green's yeah. so much because he's the one when teachers or other parents will say, yeah, but my kid has this extreme behavior or this is the real, they use this term, not me, you know, the bad behavior, the bad kid. And Ross Green shows positive discipline is especially for those kids, especially for these kinds of extreme behaviors for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the no guilt mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. The whole idea of missing skills, like starting to look through that lens, like, okay, this thing keeps happening. So what is it that's getting in the way of my child making a different choice? And then when I think about teenagers, you know, and risky behavior, I think about things like their ability to save face, right? To navigate peer pressure, which I kind of hate the phrase peer pressure, but peer dynamic. I mean, my well, son- the, social, the social influence, we know yes. they are just socially influenced. That's the way they're wired. So yeah. Yeah. it's that part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ian tells a, told me a great story about being at these waterfalls near our house and there's a bunch of different levels and there was a bunch of kids there. And later on, I saw him, he's like, mom, you would have been so proud. I was like, oh, really? Tell me. He said, well, there was this really high jump and all the guys were doing it and I just didn't feel good about it. So I didn't do it. And I said, right on. He's like, you know what I kept thinking? I said, what? He's like, I kept thinking about you saying the more teenagers there are, the dumber they get. <laughs> <laughs> Backed by science, by the that way. That is hilarious, Stacey. I love that so much. I'm going to use that for sure. Mm. I think use this choice language. Mm -hmm. And I love that because when we look at the neuroscience also of quote unquote teaching the lesson and this 
concept that we have to like scare them or put the fear in them or make them feel the pain or the hurt, that whole part of their brain is not where the executive functioning is. That's not where their prefrontal cortex, that's not where they're able to make that good choice next time. Mm -hmm. So I never understand that, you know, I mean, I understand the urge as a parent to want to do it, to make them feel pain and, you know, suffer from (laughs) their experience. But in in terms of teaching and lesson, I mean, that's insanity, you know, I mean, they have to feel connected. They've got to feel safe. They've got to feel in that yes brain for you to really work through that solution. And for littles, and I mean, littles like through elementary, elementary school and even, you know, my tween, we have a real process. Like we go through the steps as a family and with my students say, what is it that you take responsibility for? What is the repair? Let's either physically clean it up, which is half the time with my four-year-old. It's, you know, doing something that she's broken on or hurt somebody, you know, there's that repair, but then there's also that redo or the role play. And I think that muscle memory redo is so powerful and it's missed a mm-hmm. lot of times. And this is where the discipline as parents also of saying, no, I am going to actually, we're going to go through this process. We're not going to just let it go or just whatever. I don't want to deal with it or I don't want to go back to it. Sometimes as parents, we think, yeah, bring it up again, then it's just going to, we're going to go right Dramatic back. Dramatic and yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But instead, to really follow through the art of follow through that firmness of no, we're going to practice and we're going to see it in a different way. And then giving them that sliding doors moment to give that phrase again and really let them redo is so, I feel like it just strengthens your relationship. You know, it allows that like redo and to say it in a different way. This is what I wish I would have said differently or what I would have done differently. So, and we've captured a couple of those on video, an example of kind and firm at the same time with a three-year-old and then with a four-year-old to show that too, that it's not just, you know, quick and easy. Love it. Soon we'll have those kind of videos for parents of teens. Everyone know that we're going to be working on that. I feel like there it's tricky with, I mean. Oh, it is. Well, and I had two kids. I had one kid who was all about the replay, all about the role play. And another kid who was like, no. But the other, that child, my daughter, now where that is useful to her is like, she was real anxious about making phone calls. You know, if she had to, because I was always like, okay, well, you make the appointment or you call the person. And so now what she does is she'll, she knows that it serves her to write things out, to prepare for that. And so, you know, it's interesting. We talk about this kind of in the context of things going wrong, but it's really a life skill. I mean, the more like that muscle memory is useful in all different domains and all different, you know, experiences. And I love that. And that language around practicing and skills to Mm -hmm. me is that whole mindset shift that you talked about, like all these opportunities to teach these life skills that we want them to have when they're 25 and out on their own. And like you talked about that time that we have, you know, to teach Mm -hmm. those kinds of life skills. And I use that language a lot of remember, we're practicing using gentle hands, we're practicing being responsible, we're practicing turning off your iPad as soon as the show is over. We're just even that shift in language allows that unconditional love, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like we're practicing. I'm not expecting you to be perfect all the time. I'm not either, you know, obviously, clearly. So that idea of just letting our kids know, well, we got it. This shows we got to keep practicing. You know, this is still really hard for you. Yep. What does becoming sproutable mean to you in the context of discipline that teaches? I think that becoming sproutable, it just reminded me of 
Vi, who's my middle, she's very distractible. She forgets things easily. She's almost like also the most interesting person that I know. And she forgot her coat on the bus. And there was times where I wanted to just yell at her. But I said, you know, this lets me know that you really, we need to work on your memory. And so every night we're going to play a memory game at night. We're going to all work to help Vi with her memory, you know? And she said, I don't really like those memory games. I said, that's because you're not good at it, you know, clearly. I just said straight <laughs> up, like, you're not good at them. So let's practice those skills. So, um, and by the end of the week, she never forgot her code again, you know? Love and so I think to me, becoming sproutable is like thinking outside the box. It's like yeah. really like opening your mind to being solution focused of I love it. There are all of these other ways than just this like top down punitive, here's the consequence. Now you can go serve your time and be done. You know, it's like- yeah. It's like becoming open to like a total personalized solution focused approach. I love that. For me, just today, we did DBT, dialectic behavioral therapy with Rowie and me a couple of years ago. And something that came up in a conversation I was in today was around radical DBT. So DBT, they talk about the emotional mind, the logical mind and finding the wise mind. And in this conversation, This gal was saying, you know, wise mind can also be a little bit rigid. And so what they're now supporting people in DBT with is having a flexible mind. And so that's really kind of alive for me today when I think about becoming sproutable is not only as a parent really leaning into that flexible mind, but also being the model of that and hopefully creating an environment where my my teens can learn to stretch into that as well. Yay. Love it, Casey. So fun being in conversation with you. Yes. Thank you listeners for listening. Don't forget that Becoming Sproutable Limited podcast will come out every Thursday. We got two more weeks here. So we hope you'll join us. Don't forget to listen back to shows that you may have missed. We, Julieta and I are super stoked to have brought our two companies together, Joyful Courage and Sproutable to serve everyone on their parenting journey and excited for you to check out our brand new website. Go to besproutable.com to find out about the coaching, the membership, the classes, the online courses, all the things for parents and nannies and preschool teachers. At the bottom of every page is the place to sign up for the newsletter. Do that. You'll stay informed on all the things, get some tips and strategies and uh, stay connected. So yay. All right, mama. I'll see you next week. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not gonna tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.